from <laughs> some, uh, some of it's from Scandinavia. Uh, Marty McCary out of, out of Johns Hopkins does a good job, a reliable job. So I've tried to put together uh, this information. I've been working on this since February of 2020. It, it really looked like this was going to be something really big. And so it kind of came, fell on my desk. And so in a most interesting now 18, 19 months, 20 months. But anyway, so let's go on ahead. And I'll, now this document that you have, that's what I want it to be. I want it just to be a handout. Uh, I'm not going to go through all these slides. And uh, the slides at the end are taking on some issues that you're going to have questions from patients on. And uh, it's really addressing that, even down to the point about what's in these vaccines. And so you're gonna see that in the latter pages of what's in there, but also in terms of inflammatory syndrome, in terms of pregnancy, fertility, uh, uh, carditis. Those we're not even gonna talk about today, but they're there for you to have information and references that you can use. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, let's just work off of this. Yeah, it is. Okay. This is what we're going to do. Opposite, but this thing's not going to work. I'll just uh, give us a full screen. Yeah. Okay. Okay, there we go. Okay, this is the objectives that uh, I'm going to try and, and many of them. We're going to look at this. We're, today, we're playing war. That's what we're going to play today. We're playing war. We want to know about the opponent, and we want to know how to stop the opponent, how we can, and naturally, and as well with the vaccination. So we need to understand what that opponent is and where it's vulnerable. Uh, the three stages of that infection, stage one, two, and three, uh, who's, who's infectious and how long are they infectious? Uh, we're going to initiate the, the adaptive immune response in terms of how that benefits your patients uh, in terms of those products, how those products function and where they're vulnerable. Uh, we want to know about the durability of that antibody from the vaccine as well as from the infection. And it's really two different worlds. Uh, breakthrough infections. We're going to talk about breakthrough infections. We're going to talk about the management, the vaccine management considerations that you've got to give in regards to that patient. There's probably five different categories of that. Now, when we get into the complications uh, for the vaccine that's, and the 
the ingredients and all this down here. Those are, we're not going to go into it, but you've got it in as handouts. So you can refer to it and look for that for information. It's going to work off of that. Yes, and we'll work off. Okay, good. Can I just check and see if yes. it'll work off okay. of that now? Okay. So let's go into. Let's see who our opponent is. Thank you very much, Sean. Who's our opponent? Our opponent is this uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. It's an RNA virus. It's wrapped in a nucleocapsid protein, which makes up what we call the nucleocapsid. We've got other proteins there the small envelope protein, the membrane protein, but the spike protein is what we really want to focus on. That is what, in fact, is the, the target, the target uh, for, the, for the vaccine. Okay, now, in terms of talking about the spike, you got spike one, you got spike two. What are the functions of these? And this becomes important, particularly when you're listening to all these mutations taking place, knowing what the function of these different components are. Okay, we've got the spike protein. We've got the spike one, which has a receptor binding domain, and that's the site, which is the so-called attachment site to the receptor. And that receptor, of course, is the ACE2 protein on the cells. Now, when that, that binds, that receptor binding domain binds the ACE2 receptor, that's what its function is, is that that is cleaved from the S2, and the S2 becomes the so-called handle to turn the doorknob to allow the fusion of the virus into the cell. So both the S1 and the S2 have very important roles in the infection cycle. This right here is just a schematic showing that very fact uh, of the virus binding the, the ACE2 uh, by the receptor binding domain off, and then in fact, you get the endocytosis due to the S2. And of course, you all well know your virology, the RNA now will in fact take over the machinery of the cell, and the RNA now makes all these components that are necessary, the, the structural and non-structural proteins, and you essentially assemble them, and then an assembled virus is released. Okay, I want you to understand the virus can play two roles. I mean, the antibody can play two roles to the virus. There's a handout back there in the back. Is that uh, 
can play two roles. Number one, we want to block that virus binding to the receptor, number one. But number two, when that virus, when that antibody binds to the virus, it makes it now sticky. Opsonization, increased phagocytosis, be picked up by, NA, uh, by, by the innate immune response, the neutrophils, the, the macrophages, and in fact, to do its role. Now, as you well know, what you're seeing, whether what stage it may well be, it's really what you're seeing as symptoms is the response of the immune system to the virus. That's what that's all about. And in fact, in terms of, of the stage one, this is nothing more than due to a respiratory infection. And you're seeing the, the characteristics there. You're seeing the characteristics of a respiratory infection. You go to the stage two, which you all well know, well, well aware of in terms of now you got the pulmonary phase, you got the pneumonia, and you go on over to the stage three, you get into, you get into, of course, the, the uh, you get into the hyperinflammatory response, the acute respiratory disease syndrome. You start getting the sepsis, you get the kidney, you get the organ, you get the organ failure. That's really due to the reaction of the immune system. You're getting the cytokine storms, uh, which are causing a tremendous amount of inflation, inflammation, excuse me, inflammation. And so now the question comes up to you, comes up to you. When am I infectious and how long am I infectious? or you have to make that decision. But in terms of the literature, it's gonna make it real clear that in fact, upon exposure, yeah, you are about two to three days uh, prior to onset of symptoms, you're gonna be infectious. Now, you're basically, this graph shows you're out to eight days. In the early days back in March and April of 2020, we were, they were able to culture viruses as late as 10 days. And that's the reason you've got a 10-day quarantine because it's, it was considered that particular time, 10 days. But this particular graph shows eight days. So eight to 10 days is what we'll, what we'll talk about. Okay, in terms of the variants, I just put this in. Uh, the variant, of course, the, the variant of interest, uh, the variant of interest are those of one out there that have genetically, genetic changes to suggest that they have increased transmissibility, uh, uh, disease severity, immune escape, et cetera, et cetera, but they have not yet presented themselves to be a problem in the, to you as the physician as, a, as infecting the patients, is that these are the ones, the, the variants of concern, the alpha, the gamma, the alpha, the beta, the, the delta, and these become the variants of, of concern when we recognize them for their transmiss transmissibility in terms of their detrimental change to the patients, um, the increase in virulence, and of course, we've been dealing with, with Delta, which has been uh, paramount in all of this, and a decrease in the effectiveness of the, of the public health system. The variants of, of high consequences of the other variant, and I, we have not ever seen it as yet, and I hope we never do because this is beyond the capability that we have today to really manage, uh, except through the natural immune response, prevent the measurements uh, and the countermeasurements have gotta be there in order to deal with these viruses. Okay, 
So that's our opponent. And that's what you know as, as, as COVID-19. COVID that's what you know of. Now let's begin to talk at the level of the immune system to educate the immune system on how in fact we can effectively and efficiently block this. And keep this in mind. The antibodies block the infection, okay? The antibodies, when we went back and we were going through that schematic, we were finding the antibody binding to the virus, blocking it, infecting the cell. The antibodies were also binding to the virus and clearing the virus through the, through the monocytes and through the neutrophils. So look at the antibodies as that component that blocks the infection. However, the T cells terminate the infection. Okay, you're gonna send the, the big guns in, so to speak, when those, you've got infected cells there, T, T cytotoxic cells are gonna be the ones that destroy that, that factory, so to speak, of producing those viruses. Okay, so here we're back to the schematic again. So here again, the antibodies playing a role to neutralize the virus from infecting, uh, neutralizing the virus and allowing it to be cleared through phagocytosis. So here's where we're going. This is what we want to accomplish here is in terms of, of the, the B cells producing those antibodies for neutralization. The T cells, in fact, destroying uh, the infected cells, killing the cells. And that's what, what our goal is. Let's begin to talk about this vaccine. As you well know, we've got the Moderna, we've got the Pfizer, which of those are nothing more than nanoparticles filled with an active component, the messenger RNA, the message to in fact make the spike protein. So this is a, a cartoon in, indicating in terms of the lipid a nanoparticle with the mRNA carrying the message only for the spike protein, only for the spike protein. So this becomes the Moderna and becomes the uh, the Pfizer. In terms of the in terms of the J and J, a little different. They're using an adenovirus, uh, non-replicating adenovirus, and in fact, there's DNA within this within the viral DNA, but that, that has the, the message to make messenger RNA to thus make the, uh, to make the, the spike protein. Now, the only difference is this is the carrier here with the nanoparticle, which was in fact of the lipids was the carrier in that particular case. So now let's go in, let's begin to look in terms of the platforms here on how in fact they function. And let's go back to uh, dealing, first of all, let's deal with, with the, uh, uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna. Okay, here's our nanoparticle. Our nanoparticle now goes into the muscle cell. Uh, our muscle cell now, uh, the mRNA uh, has the affinity towards the, towards the uh, ribosome and makes the protein. And that protein then goes to the surface and it's also released and an antigen-presenting cell picks it up. Let's stop there for a moment and go back to an adenovirus. Again, the carrier is, is the adenovirus vector in terms of the J and J, and it's carrying it into the, it's carrying into the cell with the messenger RNA, eventually getting there and making the spike protein. Now, the key here is if that antigen is coming from within the cell, 
you'll get both antibody and cell-mediated immunity. So when the, uh, when the um, like the Novavax, the Novavax is nothing more than a spike protein. That's all you're gonna get with the Novavax is the antibody because that, that antigen is not gonna come from within the cell. It's gonna be, it's gonna simply be injected. It'll be seen as non-self and make a protein, make a uh, generated antibody to it. But let's get back to the Moderna and the Pfizer, as well as the J&J. &J. So now we've got the antigen presenting cell has received the antigen. The key to these two and getting the, the T cell immunity is the fact the antigen came from within the cell. The antigen presenting cell, as you all remember from your immunology, in medical school, the it now through by way of the T helper cell, that B cell is going to be activated and it's activated to make antibodies specific for the spike protein. Those antibodies for the spike, uh, in terms of that spike protein, these antibodies, these different variants, is in fact, uh, it doesn't seem to be a problem. We haven't had a mutation whereby the spike proteins are no, longer in, are no longer reactive with the antibodies we're generating with these vaccines. Is in terms of also the helper cell uh, interacting with the cytotoxic cell generating activity. Now, in fact, that cytotoxic cell now will destroy the, the, the cell, which is where the factory of making this virus get destruction of that infected cell. The other side of the coin that you've all got to be well aware of is the memory cells. You will be making memory, the, the immune system in this infection and the immune system in this vaccination will in fact make memory cells, T cells, uh, helper cells, B cells. They will make, uh, they will make uh, the, the memory cells, the memory cells being stored away in the lymphatic tissues, the lymphatic tissues being at site whereby your, that antigen is being collected upon re-exposure, however that may well be. And again, providing that response as a supporting response <coughs> as, the, as the immune system diminishes over a period of time, which we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit, because the immune system is gonna diminish. However, as it diminishes, you're going to become vulnerable to an infection, to a reinfection, which you all see as a breakthrough infection on these vaccinated patients. But when that happens, the memory cells will, in fact, express themselves. And that's the reason, you know, a lot of these patients you may see no symptoms or you may see very limited symptoms or you may see very short lived symptoms. Because remember, let's go back in terms of your basic immunology, in terms of the initial immunization or the initial time to sensitize the immune system, it takes a lot more antigen than it does upon re-exposure, and the time is much shorter. Is that usually in terms of when you call upon the memory cells, you're gonna have a protective response within about three to four days. And so it's much shorter on that initial time. It may be as early as nine days, 10 days, but by definitely you're gonna have 100% by 14 days. A big difference there. So keep that in mind as you consider some of this. Okay, this is just another cartoon um, making a point in terms of the Moderna, Moderna, the uh, mRNA making its way to the ribosomes, making the spike protein, putting it on the surface. And where did that spike protein came from? 
He came from the inside the cell. That's what are you going to get? Antibody-mediated immunity, and you're going to get cell-mediated immunity, T-cells. With the adenovirus, again, the adenovirus, the DNA of that adenovirus, incapable of replicating, except for that piece of DNA in there, that small piece of DNA that carried the code to make an mRNA. And again, back that mRNA being made, dealing with the ribosomes to make the to make the uh, protein, the spike protein, and of course, the sensitization of the cell. Okay, now, I put this in here. These are two cartoons, two uh, uh, videos. And I put them in here for you to use with your patients. They're excellent cart, they're excellent little uh, videos. Put this in, type these into your, uh, your browser. And on this one right here is a very descriptive, very descriptive uh, little video on how Moderna and how uh, Pfizer function, how they work. And lay people, I find lay people find it very secure in order to seeing these and be, be able to grasp what's taking place. This right here, this YouTube, right here is on terms of J&J, &J, in terms of how it functions, even down to the point of the, of the macrophage coming in and engulfing, engulfing the, the virus. Uh, and so I'm not gonna show these, but I have them there for you to use with your patients. And if the patients need something descriptive, be able to see and to be able to follow. Okay. So we've given this vaccine or we've had an infection. The vaccination is nothing more than trying to, to mimic what an infection will, will generate. So now, okay, now we put together the educated troops. And who are those educated troops? Educated troops are, of course, the antibody-mediated immunity uh, in terms of the uh, T cell or, or cell-mediated immunity. In terms of the timing, what happens in terms of the T cells, shortly after infection, you get the T helper cells uh, and followed by that with the CD8 cells. Now, these, these will have a half-life, and we're going to talk about that a little later on. That becomes important to you to understand what the half-life of, of these memory cells are. But nevertheless, here early on in this uh, infection, you get these responses generated, whether it be a vaccine or whether it be an infection. We go down here in terms of the plasma blast began to be produced here uh, shortly after the symptoms onset. This is on the acute infection. And there again, is it going to make IgM, IgA, and of course, IgG. Now, IgG is the one we're going to use in terms of saying, has this patient had the infection, not using it for diagnosis, just using it for management, or as in fact, what kind of a response? We're going to use it as a measure of the response that these patients have to the vaccine or to their infection. And of course, IgM and IgA. The IgA is something it's, uh, I'll be looking forward to is continue to generate data on the IgA because this is a respiratory virus. And you're starting to see some, some discussion about having a respiratory vaccine. And that's the reason why, it's because IgA is the, is the mucosal immune system. And this can be extremely important of educating the mucosal immune system and being able to st stimulate it and manage it. Out here and this, these are your memory cells out here. 
setting there for to generate the animistic response in a very short period of time, generate that response to, in fact, uh, uh, these, these are educated cells out here, educated to that particular antigen, to, to the SARS-CoV-2 spike antigen, in order to respond to it. Now, uh, and, well, I'll, I'll make that point in just a minute. Okay, so here's what we got. This is what we were able to accomplish with the vaccine and with infection is, in fact, we So this is what we're able to accomplish in terms of the enemy. That be well, come on. Thing. In terms of the of the enemy, we were able to block its binding, but also that those antibodies binding by the FC region will bind to the the neutrophils and the macrophages. They'll bind to them and enhance the ability for those to be engulfed and cleared. So we've, we've, made, we've accomplished two goals there. We've blocked the enemy and we've cleared the enemy. So that's what I can say in terms of antibodies, the antibodies block infection. Okay, and the second accomplishment we have with the Moderna and the Pfizer and the J&J, &J, we have the cell-mediated immunity. When you start seeing they begin to promote this, this Norvax to you, you're gonna get very little if any T cell immune response, very little. But here's what's happened here. This T cell been uh, activated by gamma interferon has now recognized the antigen on the virus infected cell and now with performance and, and uh, granulozyme B, now injected that into the cell and killed that cell, and that cell undergoes apoptosis, and that's a dead cell. Now, there again, it's going to be an inflammatory response because the immune system has got to clean it up. So you're going to get some inflammatory response going on here in terms of this reaction right here. Because the immune system also has a responsibility not only blocking the infection, clearing the infection, but cleaning up the mess. Cleaning up the mess it's made in terms of that killed cell, you kill that cell uh, with T cells and, okay. Okay, now I'm gonna throw something out because I want you to get a handle because I'm gonna take you into a real controversy today, later on, and that is in terms of natural immunity versus vaccinated immunity. I'm gonna take you there a little bit, a little bit further down the talk. I want you to think in terms of this diagram, this is natural immunity by way of having a viral infection. I want you to go back to that early slide of the virus. I want you to tell me how many epitopes, how many antigens are on that virus that the immune system made a response to. Who knows, but it was a large number because there's all these epitopes on all these antigens. And so we stop and think about how robust a response that is in terms of you have an immune response to the organism itself. And so what happens here, we get both the T cells and the B cells making antibodies and making cytotoxic T cells. Now we're gonna to get to cytotoxic T cells and the B cells when we now we vaccinate. 
with the vaccine. We're gonna, we're gonna get the same thing. However, stop and think now, we're only making antibodies, our immune response, the antibody responses to the epitopes that are on the spike protein. Really a much limited response, but it's effective. It's effective, but we're gonna talk about why the breakthroughs here in just a minute. Nevertheless, the outcome's still the same. We have B cells producing antibodies that spike. We have T cells, cytotoxic T cells, destroying infected cells. Okay, so the outcome's the same, but I don't want you to lose sight of how robust the response has to be in order to deal with the, deal with the, the total virus, okay? Let's also go into here, and I'm going to set you up for a discussion here a little bit later on. Let's talk in terms of the memory cells. If we have a patient who's naive, naive, and, and then as opposed to a group of patients, a group of patients here that are naive, never seen the virus, this patient, group of patients here have recovered, have recovered from COVID. So now they have already have been sensitized. Now, what happens when we go and vaccinate this group of patients, it's gonna be in blue down here, versus vaccinating these recovered patients. We're gonna talk about that, that vaccination a little bit later on. But what happens here, what's gonna happen with the group of patients who have recovered and you give them a vaccine, one dose, they have a horrendous response. We've, I've been amazed what kind of response they have. You give the vaccine to a naive patient, much less uh, initially, and then, uh, uh, we'll talk about, it. but the memory cells, here we go in terms of the memory cells, the memory B cells, the memory B cells and the vaccinated patients uh, on terms of patients who have recovered uh, are much higher, but after about six months, they're about the same as the memory B cells with the, with the naive patients who receive the vaccine. Okay. And now in terms of the T cells, again, pretty much the same. Now, in terms of the memory cells, all we can, we haven't been into this far enough, but if we look back at SARS-1 uh, in 2003, there's some of these patients that had, they can still find memory T cells today, but the memory B cells were, were gone by six years, okay? So the T cells, this T cells, memory cells seem to be long lived, whereas the B cells were much, shorter lived. But I want you, as you think about the capabilities of your patient, I want you to constantly be thinking about that memory cell population. Okay, so where we come to? We've taken the vaccine, uh, we've taken the vaccine and uh, uh, we have educated the immune system with the, whether it be the Moderna and Pfizer, giving them the messenger RNA, the J&J, &J, uh, with that DNA making the messenger RNA. Nevertheless, we came up with the same situation where we've got a spike protein on the surface of the cell. And with the spike protein on the surface of the cell seen as foreign, the immune system sees it as a foreign. So that's what do we do. Well, this is interesting, is that uh, we get the antigen-specific antibodies and the antigen-specific T cells. That's when we were, and then more important, just as important though, is the memory. In terms of the education of this immune system, we also have the memory, whereas for a rapid response upon re-exposures. Antibodies, uh, they, uh, they bind to the spike protein of the virus. 
And in terms of the spike protein, what does this say out here? Neutralizes. Well, neutralizes the virus. I was going to say that, but what was that blurred? That's interesting. Yeah, wow, that came out. And okay, so it's neutralizing, it kills, it clears the virus. It blocks the infection, okay? In terms of the T cells, they're going to be there to destroy the, the infected cells, okay? So that's what we've accomplished. You've done nothing more than educate the immune system and you, if the vaccine, you have mimicked an infection. You've mimicked an infection such that the immune system is educated for the spike protein, or if you had the infection, come up with the same thing, so to speak, but they're again, more robust. Okay. This statement is through the eyes of an immunologist for me, is that everybody's worried about vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. You've got the wrong focus. The focus is the immunity. What's the, and not only whether they're immune or not, because a vaccine is nothing more than a tool. It's a tool in your hands to use in order to protect your patient and knowing when to use it and not to use it. We're gonna get into that. As that not only know the immunity, but the level of immunity. The level of immunity is absolutely gonna be so critical to you as you manage your patients as we get further and further into this disease process. Okay, a lot of you have already used this, this test, but we're gonna talk about the antibody test. Now, I'm gonna let you know, we're, I hope, by next spring or, or late winter or early spring, we have a test also to test for the T cells. But right now, this is all we've got. Now, I'm gonna tell you, the test you need to order is order the anti-spike. Don't order this, I'll tell you why in a minute, unless, unless you got, you're gonna use it in a very clever way, and I know some of your, your uh, attendings use it in a very clever way, but the spike protein is, a good representation. And basically the spike protein, interestingly enough, the levels of the spike protein is kind of a surrogate marker of how good the T cells are in that early, early uh, uh, response. Okay, and so what you do is that you will, 14 days after vaccination, uh, you can take a look and see what kind of a response you got. Now, the reason we're talking in this way, and I'm not trying to sell this assay, it's a pretty cheap assay, but I'm not trying to sell it, but it begins an idea how well they respond. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, we're also gonna find out the half-life, half-life of this antibody is gonna depend on whether it's a virus-induced antibody or it's a, vac vac a vaccine-induced antibody. We're going to, I'm going to show you the data in a minute. If it's a, a virus-induced antibody, it's going to reduce 4% 4, uh, 4 every month. If it's a vaccine-induced antibody, it's going to reduce 40% every month. Okay, pretty significant. Pretty significant. So I want you to be well aware of that, and we're going to talk about some variations there that you need to be well aware of. The half-life for spike protein is uh, much longer and we're gonna get into that. The nucleocapsid is, I know some of your attendings use the nucleocapsid for these breakthrough infections. Uh, the nucleocapsid, I mean, the spike is gonna be made with a, with a vaccine, but also an infection. The nucleocapsid is only gonna be made in terms of an infection because it's not in the course of the vaccine. 
And, but it, but when it, the nucleocapsid is generally made at a, at a lower level, very low level, has a short half-life, and that it's only going to be, it's only going to be around for 36% of the patients after six months. So I'm going to tell you, in fact, it'll deceive you so many times, is that when we get an order, and some of you have had a call from me, if you get an order for a nucleocapsid, a nucleocapsid negative, I go run a spike. And if the spike is positive, I call you. I call you. And the reason why some of you are sitting there laughing, yeah, is that I call you because to know what you're looking for, if you were looking for infection, you'd have got deceived with the nucleocapsid. You'd have got deceived. The thing is, if the spike is spike and positive in a patient, the patient hasn't had a vaccine, I can tell you, take it to the bank. That patient had an infection. Had an infection. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. And so, if, so my one point is, if you order nucleocapsid uh, protein, if you order, always order a spike along with it, okay? Because a lot of folks are doing that and it seems to be working out well with them, particularly on these breakthrough infections. Okay, so let's go through now. We hear CDC touting the vaccine and they're, they're touting it saying that, that uh, the vaccine's much better than having had the infection. And the reason why they can say that, this is kind of interesting here, I guess it didn't get all, I might have to kind of figure this out here. Okay, on your handout, on your handout, let's compare, uh, where did that go? On your handout, it should be, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work off your handout, because this is just, this is, this is gonna be nothing but confusing. On your handout, right here, upper left-hand corner, I want you to see the reason they're saying this is that, that on the vaccine, on a, naive, on a naive individual, the vaccine, and we'll go to the next slides, we'll, we'll confirm this, are always gonna be much higher than people who've had the infection. Right here, this is a mean, this is a big study, a large study coming out of Israel. And the mean of that group of, I don't know, it was, thousands of not hundreds of thousands of people in that was 12,153. However, look at the vaccine. In, I mean, the virus induced uh, antibody was only 19, uh, 1,914. Okay. And so definitely. And so that's what they tout, but what did I just get through telling you? Look at now the, the calculations down here, the percent decrease. These are my calculations. Oh, the upper, upper row there. Are, but I wanted you to look at this and see how dramatically the antibodies are decreasing in terms of, in fact, a paper just came out, just, just published yesterday, and in terms of talking about viral loads and really confirmed this particular paper. Look at this. In terms of the, the second 30 days, you had a drop of 44%. The next 30 days, you drop from, from the... the well, values the month before by 50%. And the values went on down to 180 days. They continue to decrease. Um, is that, let's look at the, down the, the next set down here. And of course, this is times positive. This is time, the values that, uh, that are after a positive PCR. Look at this. And my calculations is 9% 9, 9 decrease, 11% next month, 
22, 23%, and so on and so forth. So where are we at in 180 days? 180 days, we're about the same. We're about the same. Now, I couldn't, I didn't have room to, to put the other values on, but once they hit 180 days, they stayed pretty stable. They stayed pretty stable. And the values that have been on out there, the next one was, I think, somewhere around, it was uh, 920 or something like that. And the next next 30 days, it was 750 or something like that. But it's, it got to that point and stayed there. And so this the, that antibody seems to be much more robust and it seems to be uh, uh, more stable than the antibodies with the vaccine. But there again, we got to work with the tool. The tool, a valuable tool to us is the vaccine. And so, um, but I want you to be aware of this and what's going to happen here with your patients. Yeah, after you, after this one paper came out uh, Tuesday, this paper right here, and anybody, I brought these along. If you want to uh, take the references off this, you can. But off of this one is talking about breakthrough infections. And once you pass about two or three months, the, the diminishing response of the immune system is such you now you become vulnerable. We're going to talk about an area that's going to be important. But nevertheless, that's all this slide does is just simply showing you the contrast of the diminished response that you can have from month to month, what you can expect. Okay. Let's go on over here. Let's do something. Let's clean it up a little bit. Let's clean it up and let's look at a scatter plot of these patients. Let's look at a scatter plot. And these are the patients here that have been vaccinated. This is all coming out of Israel. These, these folks have been vaccinated with the, with the Pfizer vaccine. And what you see is that the calculations out of the scatter plot is that they are increasing at 40% per month. 40%. So, you know, somebody, it's almost, so if you stop and think in terms, what it actually comes out in our work, when we, we got this test, we're using the same test that Israel is using. And what we have come to find out, if you are folks that we were working with, is that about their half-life on their antibody was some were one, it was from one to two months. So I always calculate about a month and a half. A month and a half, you can divide it by two. Another month and a half, you can divide it by two. Another month and a half, you can divide it by two to get an idea where that patient's going in terms of physician called this morning and had a patient that had a 92. Well, she had diminished uh, pretty dra dramatically. Uh, here is in fact the SARS-CoV-2 infected patients and they're diminishing at 4% each passing month. Pretty dramatic, very, very dramatic in terms of what's going on. And you as clinicians need to be well aware so as when a patient says to you, and I'm sure you're getting these calls, hey, I've got a value of 1,000, 2,000, or I got a value of 92, what do you think I should do? We're gonna try to give you some numbers here in a minute. But that's the kind of questions you're getting that you need to be able to answer, but yet you can calculate out. Now, on these, on this, these infections here, this is, if you do 4%, it's about a half-life about every six to seven months. Big difference, one to two months versus six to seven months. So you can just roughly calculate because it's easier to calculate that out and do all your calculations with 4% and 40% and so on and so forth. 
Okay, well, I should be using my own. I should uh, use that because I've got some, got some variation here. So let's go back over. Let's do the handout here. This this is going to be okay. Let's go. Uh, let's go to the next page, upper left hand corner. The effectiveness of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Okay. Now, is that I don't know why. Well, we'll talk about it shortly. But the effectiveness is is that you can well see the effectiveness in terms of against infection. Infections, not hospitalization, not disease, just against infection. You can well see that, uh, look at your handout. Boy, is this crude. Okay, but anyway, is that you can see they go from 88% and they decrease down to 47%. That's all comers. But if we break it down into variants, the Delta, uh, 93% drops down to 53% after four or five months. Remember. Think about the numbers here for this new paper that just came out. Is in two months they're having a significant drop, and you can and we can see why in terms of those numbers. Non-variant, the ninety-seven to sixty-seven. Now let's talk about hospital admissions. Is that the hospital admissions are kind of about the same? However, once you get past four to five months, that that uh, is a different story. Simply because the titers have begun to diminish and not being able to block the infection, okay? You start getting breakthrough infections, okay? So in terms of hospitalizations in immunocompetent patients, is that if we talk about a study here coming out of Vanderbilt, is that the hospitalizations uh, from March to 93, the, uh, the Moderna stayed in about 93, uh, Pfizer, 88, J&J, &J, 71. So they did what they were, they were published to do. But once you get past five, six, seven months, then you began to see those, those, value, those values decrease and decrease significantly. Okay. Okay. Now, before we go into the vaccination here, I want you to keep these comorbidities in mind. These are individuals here that are not going to respond very well, if at all. Particularly if you look at the leukemias and lymphomas, you look at patients who are organ transplants, diabetes, uh, diabetes itself is, is, is immunosuppressive. Uh, if, you, if you have any of these, uh, you're more than likely are gonna have a low response, or in fact, particularly like these, these uh, lymphoma, leukemias, lymphomas, uh, HIV, uh, advanced HIV, you're not going to get any response at all. And if it is, it's going to be a very poor response. So I want you to keep that in mind. These individuals are going to take more of your attention to be aware of where they started and how they're progressing. Now, their half-life will probably be that month, month and a half. But nevertheless, is that I want you to keep these in consideration as we begin to talk now about vaccination. Another thing I want you to keep in mind as we talk about vaccination is this. I want you to think the difference between infection and infection with disease. 30% of the people who got infected with COVID had no symptoms, had no symptoms at all. And we're really seeing that now in terms of 
people having to have PCRs for various reasons have to travel and doing this and that, and they're positive. They don't have any symptoms at all. So I want you to keep in mind that the symptoms aren't, can, can fool you and deceive you. And in 30% of the cases, uh, they would have been deceived if they simply said no symptoms, no, no infection. And those individuals that are infected with no symptoms, they're still infectious, okay? They're still infectious. Uh, and I want you to keep that in mind as we start to do in some vaccination. On the other side is, of course, the presence of the SARS-CoV vaccine, the virus with symptoms. I mean, that's got to be part of your consideration. Uh, they're, of course, infectious for eight to 10 days. And, of course, the management's going to depend on uh, their degree. Okay. If you don't get any other slide than this, now I'm going to confess to you. These are the five categories that I've worked up as an immunologist. I think a clinician has to pay attention to. This is the one slide I want you to really pay attention. So if your partner next to you is asleep, go ahead and wake them up and tell them I got to stay awake for at least one slide. Okay. These are the considerations for vaccination. You have got to give this consideration. Let's go through here. First of all, let's take the patients who have been infected. Now, the big controversy is, and I'm going to, and you can come up and get this paper. There's a big controversy, and the CDC has uh, a Kentucky study, which say, which they insist that the vaccination is better than natural than natural infection. Is that the Israelis have a study, which they say that. Uh, individuals who are vaccinated have a 27 higher risk of getting a breakthrough infection than those who have had the natural infection. Now, I'm going to say if you happen to read those two papers, this paper right here from Brownstone, an individual uh, by the name of Koldorf, and I'm not going to tell you what my opinion is on it, but uh, Koldorf, he's a he's a biostatistician and an epidemiologist, but he's fun to go to dinner with. But anyway, <laughs> he has written he has written an article. It's going to take you about ten minutes to read this. And but if you want to get the if you want to get the other two papers, then you can go through here, and, and they're also in this stack. But he comes through and he compares and he makes he addresses the issue of natural immunity in a marvelous way. That's why I brought that. And the reason you don't have a slide up because he just published that two days ago or a day or so ago. And so is that the, the, the handouts are already made. And so I brought the papers. If you want it, do it. It'll take you about 10 minutes to read it. And you can go in on the, on the computer and get it. Okay, let's go through this though. So now we've got a patient who has natural infection. What's the, what's the rate of decrease of the antibody titers per month? 4% and much slower. You also have the natural immunity. So you have, I mean, also the T-cell immunity. So you have B-cell and T-cell immunity that's diminishing by about 4% a month. The next question is this. The next group is this. It's got to be taken into consideration. And, and okay, now, the next group is these individuals that have had it and now they, they need or their company has required them to be vaccinated by November 12th. Does that sound familiar? We 
fought, we fought and fought and fought and said one size does not fit all. That yes, they can be vaccinated, but they only get one vaccine. I want you to listen carefully to this. They get one vaccine. This is the reason why is that, well, first of all, no 10 to 14 days, that's nonsense. That's not nonsense. You're going to get them in high zone tolerance. Is that, so you wait 30 days, at least 30 days to vaccinate them. And then when you vaccinate them, is that two weeks after the first dose, I'm going to tell you from experience, they're going to have values at the minimum over 10,000. And some of them are going to be greater than 100,000. I mean, I'm just appalled how, what kind of response. Now stop and think what you've done. That individual's got a tremendous robust response. They've had a good robust response because they had the whole virus, okay? Now, in fact, you've waited 90 days and you've gone in and gave the second dose, so to speak, isn't it? Because they've already had the first dose was the, was the infection and the second dose is your, uh, really that first dose of the vaccine. They have horrendous response, absolutely horrendous. And this is a do not, do not, do not. Do not give them the second dose of that vaccine. Because this is what we know, and some of the early papers address this. You get what's called high zone tolerance. I bet you when you were in medical school and your professor told you about high zone tolerance, you yawned and went back to sleep. I'm sure you did. But this is, this is, given too much antigen to the immune system. And what happens, you shut the immune system down through the T cells, okay? So what you do is this on these individuals is that, and I was delighted that, that uh, Ascension finally uh, believed what was being said. And so what you do on these patients is that you wait about six months, you wait six months and you go back in and you do a titer. That, that assay, I know you're getting a lot cheaper than this, but people who can self-order that assay, it costs them $20.14. And they're delighted to pay that $20.14. I'm sure you're getting a lot less than that. Uh, but nevertheless, so spend a few bucks and find out where they're at and after you have vaccinated them and then begin to calculate accordingly. Now, here's the question we don't know. Is that do you have... Do you have two sets of memory cells now? You have a set of memory cells or uh, from the infection that's, that's diminishing at 4%. And do you have a set of, or a set of plasma blasts which are producing antibody, which is diminishing at, at 40%, four versus 40. What's what it is, and nobody knows that. Nobody knows that now, because we haven't been in this long enough. But that's the reason I come back to you. Say in six months, Go look at that antibody titer because they're going to be so impressed with that. Hey, listen, you've got greater than 100,000. Wow, what is the cutoff? 50. Wow. And so I'm simply saying to you is this, is that uh, go back. Never go to a talk without backups. Okay, and so what you do is you go back in six months and you, uh, you go back in six months and you see what your titer is. And then you make a decision. Now we're gonna make it, give you some 
data for a decision here in a moment. Now, the other situation here is the people who've never been infected. And so you go in and you vaccinate them and they're gonna have a value somewhere between 1,000 to 90,000. Those are values come from our experience. Our experience we're running 1,000, 90,000. But what's gonna be, well, how much are they gonna diminish every month? 40%. And so here again, uh, that 40% becomes extremely important in your management of this patient. Now, here's another one. Patients who have been vaccinated and now they had a breakthrough infection. We're gonna address this breakthrough infection in a moment, I promise you. But after those individuals, it's gonna be the same as the individuals who are infected and then, then vaccinated. These individuals have breakthrough infections. They have horrendous titers again. You're gonna be shocked when you see the titer. In fact, I'm not gonna be surprised you call me and say, hey, you made a mistake here because that's gonna be in the tens of thousands, not hundred over a hundred thousand. Okay, and so here again, now the question goes again, diminishing. We have a set of memory cells here from the vaccine, and now we've got this acute response due to the infection. So what do we do here? Well, I'm gonna say, come back in six months and take a look and see what your titer is. Another one, a patient, we're at right now where we're getting into a lot of the vaccine, a lot of the booster vaccination. Remember, a third of the patients got infected and never knew they were infected, okay? Is it so, is in terms of, I want you to consider the breakthrough infections. I want you to consider any prior infections. I want you to consider that their vaccine, vaccination history, their age, their comorbidities. That list of comorbidities is important to you because they're not gonna make a good, a good response or a very poor response. So they probably started out with a very low one. So you need to know that spike antibody level. And also you can back calculate. Let's have somebody who's got a value right now of 500. We back calculate, say a month and a half. That's all vaccinated. So in one half life, well, we can stop, start like this. We can go backwards. So they were at 500. So three, three months ago or 30 days ago, uh, they were at 1,000. Another one is 2,000. Another one at 4,000. Another one at, uh, at 8,000. Another one is 16,000. So you say, you know, they got a good set of memory cells. These are a good set of memory cells. And they say, well, should I get a vaccine right now at 500? Well, you got to make a decision. What you got coming up in front of you? You got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas. And in another month, they're going to be at 250. And you're probably not going to hurt them by the time you give them a vaccine down at those lower levels, that particular low level. You get down below 300, you're going to see here in a minute, you're definitely going to want to. Those, so I really want you to think about, uh, okay, let's see here. Okay, let's, okay, now let's take another piece. Okay, let's stay with that, let's stay with that asset, let's stay with these positive patients. Is that in terms of a study, again, coming out of Israel, and this is, you can just put this, this address in your computer and pull this paper up. But in terms of all these patients, I don't know how many patients they had, a horrendously big study. And those patients uh, they, that uh, were vaccinated, that really 2.5% of them broke through, had breakthrough infections. 1.2 of that 2.5 had 150 or less. 1.3 had 150 to 300. 
and then 0.2% had values of 307 to, to 799 or really even greater than 800. So well, we're getting a clue here. We're getting a clue. What is a critical level we need to be thinking about here is that these individuals who had the uh, who had the piece were PCR positive, their mean value of that big group was 175. Cutoffs 50. The mean value of those who were PCR negative, 2057. Okay. So this is when you order a SARS-CoV-2 IgG spike. Don't send me a SARS-CoV-2 IgG. I want you to order a spike because that assay, we did, we did it in 2020, the SARS-CoV-2 IgG. We did it in 2020, and it's to a nucleocapsid. We can't, can't get rid of it. It just seems to haunt me. So anyway, so this is, this is what I want you to order. I want you to order the, the SARS-CoV-2 IgG Spike. Spike. Good job. Good job. Okay, but this is this is the statement you're going to get down below. This is this is out of this particular paper right here. Uh, Jennifer Hertz. Uh, this is a reference. Same reference here. It's going to read. Uh, don't ask me why CDC will not do it. They have had time and time again. Marty McCary at St. John St. John uh, Johns Hopkins is doing this ask, doing this study right now to find out where all this is, but this is this is what it's going to read. CDC has yet to recognize and approve the value of the IgG anti-SARS-CoV-2 spike antibody assay as being vital to the management of the population regarding antibody immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. However, an Israeli scientific team, Dr. Jennifer Kurtz, has recently published uh, results that address the effectiveness of the Pfizer's vaccine six months after vaccination. Now, you can find this this sentence right here, you can find it in the in the, the second sentence of the discussion that she gives, and it goes something like this: We, the current team, also established a clear association between serology levels and subsequent risk of infection, wherein participants with a serology level of 300 AU—that's arbitrary units—hopefully within the next few months, it's going to be international units. Uh, of uh, a serology level of 300 AU per ml or lower were more likely to get infected with, with COVID-19 than, than those with a serology level greater than 300. That 300, and, and, and we're using the same assay that they use. That 300 isn't a magic number. I'm gonna go to where we have been all along. They just confirmed. My, my impression is when you get in the lower 100s, you get into 200, 250, 300, 350, you ought to be thinking about whether you shouldn't give a booster at that particular time. Now, if you've got somebody that's 3,000, 5,000, it's probably too soon. You want it to half-life out and diminish a little bit, but you know the half-lives, you know how diminishing, uh, half-life of one and a half months versus half-life of six to seven months. So what I want you to do is I want you to think in terms of of, uh, of of this now. This is what this is what the titers look like in in uh, all our clients. And this is just a thirty day running average. You look at this. Here's the cutoff: 50, 50 to ninety nine uh, is this, and then it just goes hundred increments all the way over to a thousand, and so on and so forth. Right here 
is probably you start getting down in here in this particular range right here, you ought to be thinking about, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, well, okay, we're gonna, okay, we're gonna go to, we're gonna, use my, okay, we're gonna go here, lower right-hand corner. I want you to look at lower right-hand corner is that you can see that 21% of the, of the patients that we test for SARS-CoV-2 serology, and this is just over a month period, were is 21.6%. But now let's really look at the positives. Let's look at the positives. If we take the positives and we look at the positives that are from 50 to 299, they make up 17.3%. That's a population where we just got these sayings vulnerable. How vulnerable depends on their risk factors. Depends on how how responsive uh, responsible they are about uh, their exposure. Three hundred to a thousand twenty seven point seven, and then in terms of fifty five point one is a uh, thousand thousand and greater. But that's what that's is in fact what we're seeing here in terms of uh, of uh, what we're seeing here in, in Oklahoma. And all of those are values from all over Oklahoma and some other states also, okay? Okay. Um, now, I put in here, we're getting, I'm gonna have some questions here. I put in here information on myocarditis. What, now the thing is you've got to do, clinicians, you've got to weigh risk with benefits. And so in terms of what's the risk and the benefit, uh, in terms of, of the, the risk of the overall population is 2.13 for 100,000. Right here is the group they're talking about, the men and boys, 10.69. Uh, now, this is Israel's data. This is U.S. data up here, pretty much the same, but they have broken down much better in Israel. 10.69 per 100,000. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this in terms of, let's, let's compare that to a young, uh, young uh, individual, 10, 16, to, 16 to 29, young athlete, a young athlete male, if they get COVID, if they get COVID, let's talk way better, uh, risk with benefits, they have a 2.3%, 2.3%. That's two per, 2.3 per 100, okay, of getting myocarditis. So you've got one situation with that is, you, 10, 10 per 100,000 versus 2.3 per 100. That's risk versus benefit. And in terms of these questions you're gonna get, and that's what this is really for, is for you to have information. Another thing you're gonna have is on pregnancy. A big, big, big discussion going on now whether pregnant women should be receiving. Uh, here's, here's some data here for you uh, to, to discuss that. Fertility is another issue that comes up. Uh, in terms of read that to, to answer the questions of your patients. Uh, the the uh, inflammatory syndrome in children, again, is a problem here, but it's really, uh, really very rare. Um, long hauler syndrome, again, a problem out of illness. What I've done also, is I put the comparison of the vaccines right here, and what I've done for you, I put the ingredients in that vaccine. There's really some 
really strange things that are supposed to be in these vaccines, all the way from GPSs to all kinds of things. So <laughs> this, is, this is the active ingredients and the inactive ingredients. The Moderna, J&J, and I put in AstraZeneca for you simply because I know you go to foreign land and you can have some ideas about that. You all know the side effects. So here's what I want you to do, clinicians. I want you to get a handle on the measured immunity and the clinical protection. I want you to be thinking about that. That's critical for you and managing your patients. I want you to be thinking about pregnant women and nursing mothers. This right here is a big controversy going on. In, in terms of allergies, people are going to say I'm allergic to it. Allergies to the, to the vaccines, it's 11.1 per million. Yes. Anaphylaxis to the yep. Okay, well, you're one of that 11. <laughs> so you can tell people, I'm not one of the million, I'm just 11. In. <laughs> How's that? Okay, uh, I want you to think in terms of, of the leukemias and lymphomas you've got to work with. Right now, in terms of the children under 12 receiving this vaccine, um, I want you to be thinking about these kind of things in terms of the vaccine. And I hope today you've got some, you've got some, some, uh, some foundation in order to make those clinical conditions that you've got to do in terms of managing your patients. Oh my gosh. Okay, I got five. You got to be out of here in five minutes. Uh, questions. I'm going to stay around for anybody who wants to chat. But questions you might have. Have you kind of been like sipping out of a fire hydrant? <laughs> Okay. Yes. Do you recommend we do antibody testing before we would give the vaccine or recommend it? Okay. Now, here's here's the question. It's just not one size fits all. Is this individual a healthcare worker who's been working in the midst of all of this? And are they one of those 30% that had an infection but never had any symptoms? And you can tell that if they're positive, they've got a They've got a spike antibody positive. They had it. And so, or is this an individual who has been, uh, so they would, you'd want to probably do that, but they are, as opposed to an individual who's always been uh, at home, no exposure at all, had their food delivered, all of that. They don't need one. You don't need to waste that money on them. And so you really want to take in consideration what, what their risk is, what their exposure has been on whether they need the test or not. And that, that healthcare worker, by all means, or that, that first responder, by all means. Uh, I'm, I've been shocked at the number of first responders that I, never, I didn't have it, but they didn't have any symptoms. So you, the gold standard, this is going to be surprising coming from a laboratorian. The gold standard is your clinical history, not the lab. And you make your decision, and we're here to support you. And so we're here to support you to provide it if you think this may be somebody that's exposed. Grandma who has taken care of the kids after school, yeah, probably should, but she would have probably had symptoms. She would have probably had symptoms because of her age. I hate to admit this, but I'm advanced age. I know you guys couldn't, didn't know that, but is that, uh, is that advanced age, uh, at over 60, 65 is a comorbidity. Mm -hmm. yeah. that answer your question okay. yes in your opinion um is there a public health benefit to vaccine mandates Ma vaccine mandates public uh, health benefit. 
Well, I'm going to tell you, now I'm not going to answer it from a political standpoint. I'm going to answer it from a, a very practical standpoint. Is that it depends, the vaccine mandate, is that we know, we know the titers get low enough, they're going to have breakthrough infections. Not everybody, but they're going to have breakthrough infections. Is that I think it's a, is that with the data we've got, with the data we've got in considering herd immunity, is that uh, you go up to, you go to Scandinavia, and they, what was it, Sweden? Never closed until they were, they were absolutely forced to close by, by the politicians around the world. Is that they walk through the infection. They walked through that infection and they had people that got it. Yeah, they had people that died. But there again, they walked through the infection. They generated that natural immunity. And you all can see the benefits of the natural immunity in terms of a lifespan. And so herd, herd immunity, I mean, we're out right now, uh, I think uh, every, we've, over 53% have had two, two uh, injections. Uh, but nevertheless, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop infections. You still get infections. And so just because you got vaccinated doesn't mean you aren't going to be infected. You're going to be carrying. So, uh, you know what? I, I got to tell you, I'm 76 years old. And my problem is, is that I've just got to live pretty independently. And I've, I've had the boot. I've had both. I've had the Pfizer and had both shots and had the booster. But I do not want to tell anybody that they should go have to have it. When I give a talk, I just simply try to make it such. It's your decision as a clinician. It's their decision as a patient. And so I think uh, mandates really don't carry out the real intent which should be happening. Now, I've got more political there than I should. But that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I, in terms of I believe in the immune system. I believe in the immune system. And I'll bet you. I'll bet you, how many of you in here have had COVID? How many of you have had COVID? I'm going to tell you now, if, with what you, all you folks do, I'll tell you what, there's probably five, three to five people in here that had it, didn't even know they had it. And the way you find out, just go do a spike antibody. It's positive. You had it. Now, I know I didn't answer your question. It probably was even more political than I want to get in a lecture, but that's where I'm coming from. I just get that question a lot, so I'm yeah. curious to know what your answer was. That's, my answer is, hey, you know what? The, the people, they, people are smart. They really are smart to explain to them what's going on and you make the decision. And I've, had, I've given this, not this talk, a, a secular talk to a group of people and to some companies and what have you. And there was people after the talk says, no way I'm ever going to get it. And there was people said, yeah, I'm not afraid of that. I'm going to go do it. As long as they have the facts and let them make the decision. That's the reason I threw those two videos in there. Those videos, when they ask you that question, let them see that video. If you're giving Pfizer, do the first video. And if they're, you're doing J&J, &J, do the second video. But that video, those little videos are only about two minutes, two and a half minutes long. They're very powerful, very powerful little videos. And they really answer a lot of questions to people who don't know if they want to get it or not. And that's the reason I put what's in those vaccines 
I gave that to you. That is exactly what's there. Questions? Yes. Um, so why is it that Pfizer and Moderna required two doses? And why does it have to be one month apart? I would ask that question is if those vaccines have such a big boost in your antibody levels, whereas you only need a certain amount for it to be effective, why are we giving one dose and one dose 30 days later as opposed to one dose maybe with other dose three to four months later? Okay. Well, but the thing is, they, that's what the scientists chose is those uh, difference between the first and second dose. J&J uh, &J will talk about that in a minute. But in terms of giving the two doses, is that the Pfizer is 30 micrograms. And the Pfizer is 30 micrograms. And now remember, you're stimulating the immune system. And that second dose is to boost it. And not only just establish a higher titer, but to establish, uh, establish more memory cells. That's what you want. You want memory cells, that well-educated immune system. Now, Moderna is 100 micrograms on those first two doses. There were 100 micrograms, which I kind of would have to argue is a little too high, but now who's, I'm not to say, but their, their booster is 50 micrograms. And all of you know from basic immunology 101, it takes a lot more energy to stimulate initially to sensitize the immune system than it does to come back and to, to re regenerate it, reactivate it. And so that 50, boy, I tell you, I, 50, I would have thought they, they would have done a study and done 10, 25, and 50. And, but that, that was a choice they made. Uh, the Moderna, uh, and that, the Moderna, I tell you, Moderna is the one that I really dug my heels in on individuals who'd had the infection and then had one dose and them getting the second dose because Moderna is so, so high, so strong. So they answer, did I dance around it? Kind of. That's the whole thing. Now, J&J, &J, you got one dose and J&J is not nearly as effective. Joey, J&J is 66%. And 66%, and that is in terms of infection. And that's really what you want to accomplish. And so it tells me as an immunologist that that probably wasn't enough to generate sufficient, number one, sufficient antibody, and number two, sufficient memory cells in order to protect them. And so I'm, I'm, I think in terms of you go through all the vaccines all of you give, you, it's not unusual to give one. Let's look at hepatitis B. You give one. A month later, you give the second one, and then six months later, you give the third one in order to establish, in order to, to establish a good response. And so, it, that, that second dose, I'm I'm totally uh, convinced that second dose is very important. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I have a question. So it's, I think it's kind of like his, and you've already answered it, but. I heard that there's studies coming out in other nations where they're doing the first dose of Pfizer. Four months later, they're giving the second dose. Yeah. They're not doing, and it, it, they say it's more effective. Yeah, doing it that way. So, okay, why are we still doing it? Okay, okay, let's stop and think half life. Stop thinking half life, and we will optimize the immune system. If you give one dose, and that one dose is has got a half life of, of a month and a half, two month, one to two months. And you come back in four months, you now have that immune system there poised and ready, and you're probably going to get more 
what's what's turning out in that day that you're talking about. You're getting more uh, more stimulation than you would have if you would have done it why why the immune system was all hyped up and making response. And I, I'm not surprised at all. That's the reason the hepatitis B. That's the reason you wait six months for that third dose because if you give them too much too uh, close in sequence, right? You so don't get the response. So do you think? Eventually, we will go to not giving it a month later or giving it three months later, or are we always going to do this? I'm not just going to say, I, I can't answer that because I, I haven't seen any data. I haven't seen the data on it. Yeah, I haven't seen the data. Any other questions? Again, you've got my phone number. The only foolishness of any question is not asking. I'm, a re I'm here to be a resource for you. And you've got my phone number, phone number on the front. And uh, it, that number will take you and they're gonna ask you for the, for the uh, extension. I won't even call the 744-2553 number. I won't even call it. That one, you call that number, you punch in the extension when they ask for it and you can call me and get to me and leave me a message and I return phone calls. And I'm more than happy. And like I said, that question you got may be a foundational question for you understanding how to manage this. And I'm going to tell you, I do not know all the answers, but I know a lot of people that probably do. And so I'll get you the answer. Thank you very much. Any of you want to come up and, and pull those, that, uh, those references off of those papers? You're more than welcome to you. and don't run off with them. You can see how old I am. I, instead of bringing a computer with all the papers on it, I bring paper. You should see my desk. Everybody <laughs> complains about my desk. Did you sleep? I did. I got another two hours. Right down. Oh, get that, get that, get that address right there. Okay. Address left. Address to take you right to it. We're gonna move to the next. We're taking a break after the second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll do a quick two, three minute break before Morgan talks. Get the addresses down. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're welcome to. No, 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 no. Oh, Oh yeah, that's